Welcome to the original and the best Power Hour with Alex Burr and Dylan Hughes, members and podcast of the Running Hook Podcast Network. Another edition of the Alex and Dylan Basketball Power Hour. Dylan Hughes, your your Baylor Bears with your favorite player, Davion Mitchell, won the championship on Monday night. Dylan, if Davion Mitchell is not picked as the first pick, will you riot outside of Barclays Center, wherever they're holding the draft this year? You know, I this tournament I think is gonna make the the job of NBA uh front office members really hard because I mean that championship game, you got three awesome guards. Like those pat the last few games, I mean, I knew I liked Suggs and Mitchell a lot, but Jared Butler, man, that dude is really, really, really good. Like he he moves with the ball so quickly, but like he just does not make any mistakes. Like he's got the ball on the rope and like he knows exactly where he wants to go with it. He is really good at creating space. And then Mitchell is just insane on defense and also really good with the ball. And then Suggs just glides across the floor like no one's even in his way. I mean, it's – and I know there's other good guys that we haven't – that we didn't really get to see much of in the tournament. Or I know there's some some foreign guys and a G League guy. But the way this the draft board shakes out is going to be really interesting because I – I mean, we got a preview of what these guys are going to look like next year. And I mean, this this draft class is is uh, shaping up to be a really good one. Can I give you can I give you my take, Dylan Hughes, before we move, before we move on to the episode? So my take is that Suggs played so well against Mitchell and Butler in that last game. And that is why he solidified himself as a top three pick. I maybe would pick him over Mobley. I can't say for sure. I'm listen. If you pick either of them top, either three of them between Cade Mobley and Suggs first, I can't say I would blame you because they they've all, they're all phenomenal talents and Suggs getting past Mitchell and Butler with impunity and getting to the lane. Like that's when I knew he was legit because like it was really hard. Like a lot of resistance, like Mitchell is I've never seen anyone like him on defense before. Like he, he's going to step into the league and be all NBA defensive team. As soon as he steps in the league, that dude is going to just come in. He's going to play 24 minutes and he is going to put your point guard in hell. And Suggs just got past that with no issue whatsoever. And that's me, Dylan. I I don't know if this came across on the TV screen, but I'm just curious to think, curious to see, do you think that Suggs getting past Mitchell and Butler and Teague that easily do you think that improves? Maybe not his draft stock. Do you think maybe that just improves his standing as a prospect? Yeah, I would say so because if you look at the rest of that Gonzaga team, I mean, Kisper had a nice little run in the second half, but, like, everyone else was trash. I mean, they couldn't hit threes at all. Like, they – and I know their team wasn't really built off of shooting, but, like, this was a team that was literally unstoppable. They were undefeated up until that game. And Baylor just ran him off the floor. So, yeah, I mean, for Suggs to be able to play as well as he did, because, I mean, I don't want to say he was the best player on the floor because, I mean, I think Jared Butler wasn't. He won that most outstanding player. And Davion Mitchell was insane too. 
but Suggs was was really good, and he was there. He was the only thing keeping them even close. I say this is no disrespect to Mitchell or Butler, who I thought were both phenomenal, and Butler in particular. But I I just couldn't help like you know because my you Dylan you know my eye is naturally going to go towards NBA potential, right? Like you know that's just generally where my eye is going to go. But like I couldn't. Butler was amazing. I just I think Suggs was the best player. And the thing about Baylor was their second, the second through tenth best players on the floor were all Baylor players. So <laughs> I thought that was the difference. It was a phenomenal game. Um, I want to shout out. I can't thank Malcolm and the Sports Capital Journalism Program enough. It was such a amazing experience. And I mean, Baylor's defense, Dylan, you would love it so. I mean, you do love it so much. But like in person, you would appreciate it at like a whole other level. I wish you got to. I wish we got to go to it together and scout. Cut the game because you would have loved that deep watching that defense in person. I mean, what I, what I got on the TV screen was plenty. I, I feel fulfilled in that, but I was happy I hitched my wagon onto them after watching like the first couple games because you know I had Illinois winning in most brackets and they obviously really disappointed me. Um, but after so after Illinois dropped out and I watched Baylor, I think win their second game. I'm like, yeah, this is the team right here. Because I liked Mitchell all season, but I didn't know a ton about the rest of their team. And, like, I'm telling you, man, Butler is really – he shot up my personal draft board. I, I just loved watching him those last few games. Um, so, I was I was happy. And I have nothing against Gonzaga, but they're kind of like Duke at this point. Like, they're always there. You know what I mean? No, one, no one's going to look at them like that because they kind of play in, like, a shitty conference. But, I mean, they've – They've been in like the they're like in the elite eight every single year at least, and they were in a championship game just a couple of years ago. So, you know, seeing someone like Baylor who hasn't even made the Final Four in like 50, 60 years, you know, it's nice to. It was nice to see them win it. That was their first time in the championship game since nineteen forty eight. They hadn't made the Final Four since nineteen fifty. <laughs> yeah. So, it, it's been a long time, but. To, uh, to the NBA now, Dylan Hughes, um, it, was, it was, I'm not going to lie to you guys. I, I can't lie to our audience. I tried my best to pay attention, but I, I was a little busy with the final four coverage. So I kind of crammed a few few games in this week. But um, I think our only major injury to talk about is the Gordon Hayward injury. And this is going to be our second time in three weeks talking about a major Charlotte injury. And Dylan, I, I just don't know, like, so right now, let's let's check the standings real quick. So they are currently Charlotte is currently fourth. They are twenty six and twenty four, and Atlanta is twenty seven and twenty five. So, I mean, they're in a good spot. But then again, the Celtics are only about two games behind them, and they're in seventh. The Knicks are only a few games behind them, and they're in eighth. The Pacers, as um, tumultuous as the last few weeks have been, are twenty three and twenty seven. I mean. Dylan, do you think the Hornets can stay like in the playoff race? Or do you think that without Hayward and ball, do you think how much of their success do you think hinges on those two guys? I guess is my question. I mean, I think they would have been fine without ball. Losing both of them is tough because those, you know, so ball is like your most, like your highest ceiling guy. And then Hayward is just the all-star that's been around forever. So, you know, if you have one of those guys, you're in a good shape. But now it's like, who do they have? You know, is like if Terry Rozier is your 
your top dog, that kind of puts you in a tough spot. And Terry Rozier's played really well this year, so I don't want to uh, dog on him or anything. But, y- you know, Terry Rozier's not the best player on a good playoff team. You know, that's just not who he is. And the way some of these, like, Atlanta's – I mean, Atlanta's tied with them. They just have played less games, so they have a, a lower win percentage. But, I mean, Atlanta's been hot, and they're healthy. So there's no way that they don't pass them. Miami is, you know, they, they're they integrating some new pieces, so they, it may take them a little bit of time to get going. Same with, with Boston. But, like, I mean, they're, they're in fourth, but they're at that part in the standings where it's really bunched up. And it takes like two bad weeks for you to slide from fourth to eighth, you know? So I think honestly with, with as many injuries as they've had, I think they're probably a lock to slide into that play in tournament range. And, you know, luckily I don't think they're going to slide out of it. I think they've won enough games where they're probably okay, but they're definitely going to slide down to that level. So I'm just going to read you their next 10 games and you tell me how many are absolute locks to win. So, okay. So you have the bucks tomorrow we're recording this on Thursday. So I guess they would technically be tonight when you're listening to this audience. So they have the bucks and then on Sunday, they have the Hawks, then the Lakers, then the Cavs. Then they're playing the Nets, Trailblazers, Knicks, Bulls, Cavs again, and then the Celtics. I mean, what there's like three games they could maybe win. Between, I I don't think they're going to beat Milwaukee. I don't think they're going to beat Atlanta. I think the only three games they could win are the two games against Cleveland and the game against LA. Yeah, and Cleveland's healthy now. Like, they got Kevin Love back, and I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing at this point. But, I mean, they've they've kind of played a little bit better lately. They ran the Spurs off before the other night. Sure. Not that that means anything, as we're going to get into, but... Uh, you know, I mean, I think the Cleveland and yeah, I think the Cleveland and LA games are probably their best chance, but I mean, they could still lose those. <laughs> you could see them going at best four and six, and it's a very realistic possibility they go one and nine. Yeah. And I'm telling you, like four of those games are teams behind them in the Knicks, Celtics, um, the Hawks, I mean, are technically behind them, but the what we agree the Hawks will pass them in like a week <laughs> if that. And then, you know, you have teams like the Nets and the Blazers. The Blazers need wins. The Blazers aren't going to pack it in, right? Like, the only thing that would maybe take it easy would be the Nets. And, I mean, if KD and Kyrie are playing, you know, then they're fucked. So, I, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how far Charlotte falls. But, and if Terry and um, Devontae Graham can hold the ship, I, I don't think they can. But if they can, I'll be pleasantly surprised. Yeah, I mean, again, like they have, they still have enough talent where they can keep themselves afloat. But I don't know, like all the teams behind them in the standings, you know, still have a lot of. I mean, they're the least talented out of all the teams behind them, like from from ten down. So it's yeah, it, it could be a, a slippery fall for them. <laughs> yeah, and. Listen, you know, I think this is a good opportunity to transition to our next team. You know, a team that's still trying to even just make the play in Toronto. Um, they signed a guy um, or they're going to sign a guy who Dylan and I talked about a lot in our Orlando Magic pod as a you know potential contender helper in Kem Birch. And so the Raptors right now are 20 and 31. 
I mean, do you think it's worth it for them to try to even make the play? And they're three games behind the Bulls right now. I mean, do you think that it's like even worth it to try to make the play in for them? Or what? How do you feel about the Raptors? I guess is how I'll ask signing Kem Birch. I mean, the Raptors are just a fascinating case to me because assuming Lowry leaves this offseason, which I think is probably a good bet at this point, I mean, they have enough talent where they could just turn around, like, you know, get a good draft pick, maybe make a nice signing in free agency, and they could be a playoff team next year. Or they could say, hey, you know what? Pascal Siakam kind of sucks now. So let's dump him. Maybe someone takes Van Vliet and then we'll just build around OG. So like, it's interesting. They could go either direction. And I think no one would blame them either way. Um, So it's fascinating. I mean, I don't think Kim Birch helps you enough either way. Like I, I don't think that's the guy you sign to make a playoff push, you know, I don't know if maybe maybe they're just like taking the flyer on him for signing him in the offseason, but um, I don't know. Like, I, I guess, it, and for Birch's angle, I guess it kind of makes sense for him to go there because I was thinking, I don't know who even needs a backup center at this point. I mean, all, all the really good teams kind of have their, they're kind of set. So I don't know if he even could have done better than Toronto. Yeah. I mean, the Spurs were an opera or a potential opportunity, but they signed Jang. Um, yeah, I mean, that's probably it now that I think about it. I mean, maybe the Blazers could always use more guys because they're just injury prone to the max. (laughs) I'm never going to be like, you know, Portland, you shouldn't go after that guy. But, um, like Toronto right now is eighth in tankathon. I don't know, like, if they're going to get, like they should probably just try to get their best chance to get the top pick, right? Or get in the top four because we know this is one of the best top fours. And a positive spin could be, well, listen, we get a really good lottery pick. We put them in our system. We're one of the best developmental teams in the league with undrafted guys. Imagine what happens when we get a lottery talent, right? So, you know, I think that it's not terrible. Like the situation they're in, like, you know, losing. Yeah, it sucks that you're losing, but you're an I mean, Kyle Lowry is still your best player (laughs) and he's 35 years old, right? Like, I mean, you could quibble with that, but I mean, he is one of their three best players and he needs, I wish he went to the Sixers because it would have fixed such a blatant need, but that is what it is. Um, But the Raptors to me, I just, I think it's time for them to throw in the towel because you're 20 and 31. You're two games. So I pulled up the NBA standings officially. They're two games behind the Bulls. But the Bulls are bound to win more, right? Because they're they're getting Vooch and Levine settled in together, right? Um, you have the Hornets are still better than they are. I feel like even the this <laughs> this discombobulated version of the Pacers might be better than the Raptors are right now. So I, I just I don't know. I feel like this this is this season's East is an absolute shit show. Like it's the absolute fucking worst. <laughs> Get this. this was supposed to be a great year for the East, too. It was supposed to be. Oh, and um, to say it hasn't lived up to our expectations is like saying, God, it's like saying Kwame Brown was a bust. Like, it's it's very much un- understating it, you know, like, or Jamarcus Russell was a bust. Like, it's very much understating things, you know, just like, like, if you had told me before the season that the Celtics, the Heat, the Pacers, and the Raptors would all 
either be under or struggle to break 500, I would have laughed at you. I would have laughed at you. I, yeah, this this year is just – I mean, the fact – this is the only thing you need to say about the East this year. The Knicks are in the playoffs. That's all you need to show. <laughs> and the Knicks are back to under 500. So that's actually – you know what, Dylan? That's a great place to transition. That's a great – I don't know if you did that unintentionally, but I'm going to act like you did. So the New York Knicks are 25 and 27. They are eighth in the Eastern Conference. And it's been um, an interesting <laughs> – little while for the Knicks. So I just think that, um, so, okay, we're recording this on Thursday. Normally we record on Wednesdays. Um, Dylan and I are going to talk about this, but I don't know if Thursdays are going to be a permanent thing or not. We'll, we'll work that out later. But so the Knicks on last Wednesday, they lost to the Timberwolves, 102 to 101. They then lost to the Mavericks, 99 to 86. Absolutely blew out the Pistons, 125 to 81. They lost the Nets, 112 to 114. Then on Wednesday, a game we normally wouldn't have on our schedule, but you know, because it's the longer week, um, they beat the, they lost to the Celtics 101 to 99. So a bad week for the Knicks, I would say they're, um, they've lost like five of their last six. So um, Dylan, <laughs> you said you wanted to go. I have questions, but you said you wanted to go off on the Timberwolves and the Pistons. So please choose one and just go off on them. Okay, so I'm just watching the Knicks, right? And I'm looking. This is a team that has tried to tank. And they have tanked terribly because no matter how bad they are, they never get the pick they want. I mean, the year they think they're going to get Zion, they get R.J. Barrett. And every other year, they seem to get the eighth or ninth pick. And guess what? All those players have sucked. Obi Toppin averaging four points this year. Frank Nilakina not playing. Kevin Knox not playing. Like all these guys that they sh- that I mean they could have had a starting rotation of lottery picks at this point, but they've all sucked. So the Knicks, you know, they decide we're just going to go the opposite way. We're going to get a bunch of vets, and you know their their outlook on the next five years still isn't great. But they're actually, like, on the map. They're a playoff team, right? And then you got the Timberwolves. And we just spent a good amount of time before the pod talking about how bad the Timberwolves are at drafting. And, hey, guess what? They still aren't any better at it unless they get the first overall pick. I mean, if you take Cat and Edwards off this roster, they have nothing. And They did draft Rubio, to be fair. Okay, they have Ricky Rubio. <laughs> so, so what? What? What is the point of doing what the Timberwolves are doing? You know, you know what I'm rooting for this year, and I don't really care. Like, I don't root for stuff anymore because I just like whatever happens happens. It's fine. It's interesting. What I'm rooting for is for the Timberwolves to lose their pick because you know what would be so beautiful. Okay, so they made the decision to sign Andrew Wiggins. No one else made that decision. They decided Andrew Wiggins was worth a five-year max. That was their decision. And then they decide two years later, hey, this was a bad decision. Let's send our first-round pick back and get D'Angelo Russell, who's obviously a superstar. Well, guess what? Andrew Wiggins is in in Golden State now and and better than D'Angelo Russell. And now your first round pick is hanging in the air. 
So what would be better than them losing that first round pick? And the only thing they have to show for that is D'Angelo Russell, who they're probably going to trade for something that is less valuable because, oh, hey, that was a bad decision too. Let's just continue to make bad decisions to make up for the bad decisions we already made. And I, I just can't wait for them to trade cat because I mean, poor guy, like I completely understand why Kevin love hated being there so much. It's a terrible place to be. If you're going to live in one of the coldest cities in the U S at least like win games, you know, I mean, living in Minnesota, like we, we all felt bad for Blake Griffin living in Detroit, but like, at least they have banners in the, in the arena. Like Minnesota has nothing. It's cold. And they just, their entire roster is guys that graduated high school within the past three years. And they're going to draft horribly again this year. If they get a good pick, they're going to draft the one guy in the top five that sucks. I guarantee it. If they get their pick, they're going to draft the one bust. They're going to draft Corey Kispert in the top five. (laughs) (laughs) So I just, I never thought I would ever use the Knicks to shame Minnesota, but like, I mean, here we are. Like, as much as we shit on the Knicks, they've figured it out where at least they have a bunch of vets now and, like, they're they're actually in a decent spot, at least for this season. Um, but Minnesota, on the other hand, they just keep tanking, and it doesn't get any better. I mean, Minnesota is categorically the worst franchise in the history of the NBA because they've won – I think three playoff series in their whole, that that can't be right. Like fewer than 10, they've been in the league for their first season of existence was 1988 or 89. And I'm pretty sure they've only been out of the first round at most three times. And I'm pretty sure they've made the playoffs. The amount of times they've made the playoffs without Kevin Garnett is once. They had Kevin Garnett, a top 25 player of all time on their roster, and they made the conference finals once, and that was it. They didn't do jack squat otherwise. And listen, they deserve all your scorn and all your ire, Dylan Hughes. They, they've earned it because they suck. They're fucking jokes. And Minnesota has the worst record in the league once again this year. I don't think that's entirely their fault. But you saw what they did with their uh, coaching at the um, after they fired uh, Saunders, who you know sucked as a coach. But I mean, the way they went about it, it's it's not a well-run franchise at all. So it starts at the top. Um, Glenn Taylor's been there the entire time they've been in Minnesota. It's not like Minnesota's a small market either. Minnesota's not a small market. Like contrary to popular belief, like oh you know, you know you have these small markets like Minnesota. Minneapolis is a pretty big media market. Like compared to like some like. This is just like, I'm not trying to take a shot at the fans here, but like Green Bay, it's funny because they're like a national team, but Green Bay is like the smallest media market in all of sports. And nobody's like ever like, oh, you know, the small market Green Bay Packers, right? Like, but you'll say like the small market Minnesota Twins or the small market Minnesota Vikings or Minnesota Timberwolves. Nobody ever really says that about the Vikings. The Vikings are a pretty well-run organization, all things considered. Um, But yeah, the Timberwolves are just absolutely awful. And Glenn Taylor, the fact that he didn't sell it to KG is a disgrace. <laughs> and I don't listen. 
Dylan, just yes or no, or you can, you can expand on this if you want to. Do you blame Kevin Garnett for not wanting his jersey to be retired by the Minnesota Timberwolves? No. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely gross franchise. Um, and you wanted to go off on the Pistons too, so let's hear it. No, it was actually the Thunder. Okay. So the Pistons, I actually am gaining respect for because I don't know. Their, their summer made no sense, but it's, it's kind of working out. So I actually, I hope they get a good pick and it works out for them. Um, the Thunder are the same. It, it, they're the same as the, the Timberwolves, except they, their history isn't as bad. But like this, this team they're putting together right now is like, I'm not like they have good young pieces. They have better young pieces than Minnesota, you know, outside of those top few guys on Minnesota. But I just like, if you have to cut Justin Jackson because you're playing a bunch of second round picks, that just kind of shows where they're at. And like, they, they have just collected too much and they have like 80 draft picks over the next 10 years. I mean, they, they are literally holding the draft rights to like seventh graders right now. Okay. That, that is that you are going too far. If that's the case, if, if your future draft picks have yet to enter high school yet, you're doing too much, Sam Presti. And listen, yes, some of this is leftover residue from the Hamadou Diallo trade that I'm still upset about. But and then there's the Al Horford thing. And like we talked about this last week, but I have a hard time believing Al Horford was the in complete control of that decision. I I don't know. I mean, I I could under, like it wouldn't shock me if he was like, yeah, like this team sucks. I kind of want to just rest my body for the rest of the year. I could see that. But I also could see the Thunder being like, hey, man, you're, like, you're making us too good. We suck still, but you're making us too good. And then they trade George Hill. So there's there's nothing left. There's It's just young guys right now. It's like, I mean, I understand it. I, you know, like they've they've slowly torn this team down over the past few years, and I get it. And I just want it to stop soon. That's the thing. Like, if we're going to do this next year again, that's where the problem really starts to to hit come in for me. I think next year will be better for the Thunder because um, just it'll be, like, easier to, you know, especially if the Houston pick lands outside of the top four, I think it'll be easier for them to to build, like, you know, this young core because Poku and Shea are very exciting already. And I know I'm probably rushing throwing Poku in there, but he's – full of potential and even if he's like half the potential you still got a very good player then you throw in Cade and like Kuminga right or like Moses Moody or hell Davion Mitchell right like you could throw a lot of good players and make your way back to the playoffs by 23 I think that road is very clear for the Thunder yes you harbor a lot of resentment towards the Thunder for the Hamadou Diallo trade I don't know if you'll ever forget them but here's here's an idea that popped in my head so the Knicks have $54 million in salary on their, um, on their books for next year. And let's face it. The free agent crop isn't all that great, right? Like, I don't, I don't know what you're going to get from Victor Oladipo. You know, why don't the Knicks try to go for Al Horford? I know his salary is very expensive, but here's the thing. Like you're probably not going to get anyone better with that money. He fits their, like their style of play. Like, could you imagine Horford in a Tibbs system? Like, how do you like how do you like that idea for the Knicks? I like it because if you think of the centers they've played this year, like 
I think that's the kind of center that fits with Randall is someone that kind of just stays out of the way, but like plays good defense. And that's what Horford is at this point. Like he's more of like a facilitator on offense. You know, he'll hit some shots if you need him to, but I mean, Randall wants to run the show and it's worked out for them this year doing that. So I I think, I mean, again, like you're not going to get much better than that. And they are actually trying to play well. So if you're trying to play well, going for Al Horford is never a bad idea. And I mean, we saw he was, he helped OKC to be a lot better than they should have been in the West. Imagine him in the East. Like, and then you'd be, I think, so that actually can kind of lead me into my first question for the big picture questions. In case you need a reminder, um, our big picture questions, instead of breaking down the whole teams, we're just going to do big picture questions because it'll be an easier load on us for the uh, back end of the season. So to piggyback off that, are you finally turned around on Randall? Do you think that this could be actually for real or and RJ Barrett too. RJ Barrett's been really good since the last time we did it. Like, I think he was shooting like under 40% from the field the last time we had the Knicks. And now he's at 45%, like 40 from th- or 38 from three, and then 45 from the field. Like, do you think these got like these stats are for real from these guys, or do you need to see another year from the Knicks, from these two? I mean, this and see, I've I've always said this about Randall, even though I talk shit about him. I've, I've said this all year about him when it comes to the Knicks is that this is the exact situation he needs to thrive. The problem is, what is your ceiling at that point? Like, if Julius Randle's running the show, he's going to look great. But how good can your team be with Julius Randle running the show? And I think this Knicks team is a good example because, honestly, the Knicks could definitely improve upon some of these players, but – I mean, they have a lot of good vets out there. Like, I don't – I mean, Reggie Bullock's, like, hitting – you know, he's hitting threes. Um, You know, you got Rose out there, and and we have our Alfred Payton uh, roast coming up soon. So, gather around the campfire for that one. Like, but there's there's a lot of of vets out there. So, like, again, there's there's money to spend, but, you know, how much are you going to improve upon those guys? And so I kind of feel like this is the Knicks ceiling with Julius Randle as your best player is, you know, hovering around 500. I think that's kind of your ceiling. So they could do it again next year and they'll probably get the same result. But, you know, is are the Knicks okay with that is the question. RJ Barrett, I am starting to come around on because Finally. I I mean, I've always seen I've always seen the upside. I just he just can, he just make, he made too many mistakes and he's starting to get rid of those mistakes. Like I I've noticed one thing is that when he comes off a pick and roll, he's, he's gotten a lot better at deciding what to do. I think in the past, he's kind of been stuck between decisions. He's like, should I look at the rim or should I pass? And a lot of times he'll wait too long to make a decision and he'll end up shooting and missing or he'll pass it and it'll get picked off because he waited too long. And I think now, he's getting a lot better at being more decisive with his decision-making. And, and one thing I like about him, and, and this is what I've always said about Shake Milton. I know that's kind of like a random guy to throw out there, but I just like guys that play down downhill. I don't, I don't want you dribbling side to side all day trying to find, you know, oh, am I going to step back to three or am I going to run past you? Who knows? This, this really goes against everything you love about Kyrie, though. 
I, I do have to say. Well, it's it it works for Kyrie. That's a lot of guys try to do the shake and bake and the cute stuff, and it doesn't work. Like Donovan Fair. Mitchell gets a little bit too cute. That's like that's and he's getting better at it, but like I don't want you to dribble for seven seconds before figuring out what you want to do. And like that's that's just what I like a guy that can play downhill, like come off a pick and roll and make a decision. And RJ Barrett is really good at he's getting better at it. And you know, the numbers still aren't completely where you want him to be, but like he's shooting good from three and he's you know, he's doing okay at the rim. You'd like to see it up in the sixties, but um, so I'm definitely coming around on him, but my thing is when, when Barrett gets to a point where he needs the ball more and he deserves the ball more, what happens to Randall? Like that's, that's the concern. I just, I think Randall needs to have the ball the majority of the time. And when you start to take the ball out of his hand, that's, that's when you realize that he's just kind of overrated. Yeah. I mean, I can, I can get behind that for sure. I think that, I think there's something good in Randall. Like I see something in him, right? Like he's dribbling by guys now, right? Like he blew by, I don't remember who it was in the Nets game. I think he blew by Kyrie. Like, and you know, obviously Kyrie's not the best defender, but to have a power forward blowing past a point guard, that doesn't happen very often. There's something there. And if he could take more of a secondary role, I do think it would be better. The problem is you're right. He doesn't do much off ball, but if he could learn, he's smart. I don't, think that he's incapable of learning how to play off ball he's just young I mean he's only like he's only 26 he's been in the league for seven years I always forget like these guys that have been in the league for a long time are still barely past 25 so like there's something there Dylan like I I could I would probably agree with your assessment that he can't probably be that his best case scenario is being the first option, but I, I, I want to believe in Randall and I, I just want to say Dylan, you know, in our Knicks pod, the first time around, I was saying a lot that RJ just needs more space and, you know, Randall and uh, Bullock are both above 40% from three and look at what he's done. Like, actually, let me um, go ahead and pull up the game block for RJ Barrett since the first week, because I'm pretty sure that <laughs> during that time he was um, <laughs> at, not a very good place, but so let's see. So since our first game, it's at 48% from the field, 45% from three, um, five rebounds, three assists, 18 points a game. Like, I think he really struggled the first couple of weeks of the season, but now that he's figured it out, RJ Barrett to me is very, I, I could tell, very intelligent player. Like, sees the game very well. The problem is, I said this on the last pod, the spacing in New York is about worse than the spacing was at Duke. So... And I, I think this is a good opportunity to transition to our our next thing in general. Like Alfred Payton, Jesus Christ, get him off the fucking screen. I don't, I don't you'll like, should Tibbs be arrested for playing Payton over quickly? Just, I'll, I'll ask that straight out. I mean, Alfred Payton, and I said this in text the other day, Alfred Payton does not deserve to be cut. He deserves to have to sit on the bench and just watch and stir. Because I remember he had, of course, of course he did. He had a little, um, what is it called when you have a second Twitter account? A burner. Yeah, he had a burner and was talking about, oh, Alfred Payton, you know, he's been playing well this year. He actually deserves more time. If you ever pull that, 
then I'm done with you. Except for Katie. Like, Katie's too good. And I, God, like, talk about a guy I would love to fucking sit down with with a therapist and just get in that guy's head. Because for him to be as good as he is, it's shocking to me that he still is so defensive of himself online. But um, Alfred Payton, like, for him to do that, he lost me there. And, like, he lost me a long time ago with his play. But. Uh, of all people to have a burner, I mean, I was done with him then. So I, I would love to see him just sit on the bench and never play again. And I would love, you know, I would even love for a team to sign him next year. And like, yeah, just give him a million dollars. It's fine. Just sign him and sit him the entire season. So he has to just think in his head, oh, my God, I can't believe they're playing this scrub over me. Like, I'm going to go to Twitter and talk about this on my burner. So, you know, I I think Tibbs almost feels bad for him because he knows his time's coming up and he's given him a little bit of candy before he has to be put down. And I, I think that's what's happening here. So I'll give Tibbs a break, but it, it needs to be pulled. He needs to be pulled soon. It's, it's OK. So then I pulled up the uh, cleaning the glass lineup numbers and the one lineup. So, OK, this lineup with quickly. Bullock, Barrett, Randall, and Noel, which is basically if they replaced Peyton with um quickly would be their starting five at this point. That lineup in 139 possessions, not a whole lot, but still just barely above the possession threshold, plus 13 with a 115.8 offensive rating and a 102.8 defensive rating. The Knicks defense for context or the Knicks offense for context is at 108.5, I want to say, points per 100. And Listen, you just need any jolt of offense you can get with this team. That's the team's problem is they don't have any space. They can't get anything off (laughs) on the court. And yes, this team is not very talented, I will say. I think Tibbs is doing, this is one of his best coaching jobs. And I watched a lot of those years in Chicago with no Rose, right? Like this is what, like getting this much out of this team, he is going to probably be in the top three of the coach of the year and deserve it. He's done a great job, um, but just one little coaching move could make their offense from 24th to like 15th. And this team would be not 25 and 27. They'd be like, I don't know, like 28 and 28 and 24, something like that. Like, I think that that move could be the difference between like Alfred Payton is not a bad player. I will say that, but I think that on this team, he's just not the guy. You know, I'm looking at this team right now and like I actually think I would rather have Alec Burks in there than than Alfred Payton. Like that's that's kind of how desperate of a situation it is. It just there are there are like three guards on this roster that are better than him. And I just I don't I don't get it. I'd rather play Dennis Smith than him. And I know Dennis Smith isn't on the team, but I think I'd rather play Dennis Smith. I'd rather play Frank. You know, at least if you're not going to get any shooting, at least you'll get some actually good defense, right? I Listen, Tibbs is very veteran happy, right? Jimmy Butler didn't play until his second year in the league. I was there for Jimmy Butler's rookie year. He didn't play at all his first season. And that's one of Tibbs's downfalls. And that downfall is one of his short-sighted areas is he just relies too much on bets. He doesn't believe in playing rookies that much. So I'll be curious to see how that progresses through the rest of the year. Anything else on the um, quickly situation? I don't think I didn't see quickly much this week, but anything else on that before we move on to our last question? 
I mean, he still hits like crazy shots. Like I, I'm just excited for his career because he can hit a floater from like 50 feet out. It seems like, so I'm, I'm just excited to continue to watch those. Yeah. He, I mean, quickly is still on my all rookie first team. He'd probably be the last spot, but I mean, in 19 minutes a game to be on the all rookie first team, it's pretty good. So shout out to him. And then I guess this is a really big picture question. Is this the next, the Knicks best sustained chance for success in like the last 20 years? So we know the last 20 years since James Dolan has taken over for his dad have been categorically awful, right? So do you think that this Knicks model, right, with Randall and Barrett and then whatever they may add in the offseason, do you think that they actually have a chance to be, you know, even just mediocre compared to just playing bad like they were for the last 20 years? I mean, if they can re-sign Randall, yeah, they're in a decent spot. Because I believe he's a free agent this this offseason. I think he has a uh, team option. I'll check. I thought he re- I thought he signed for two years, but I, I could be wrong with that. Um but I mean if they can if they can bring him back and like obviously they're gonna have Barrett. I mean, I, I think they're in a decent spot as long as they continue to to shuffle vets in and out, because the problem with this system is these these vets could all leave like they're they're signing these guys to one or two year deals and they could all be gone you know next year so like that you got to find a bunch of new vets at that point um because again behind those two top guys like this there's not much of a youth movement there i mean i just obi top and i just man like how do you not take tyrese halber and like i i'm just not gonna let that one go because it it was so crystal clear to me, and I barely even watched college basketball, but I don't know how, how Tyrese Halburn slid to where he slid to. Um, but again, like there's just there's not much of a youth movement going on there. So you you gotta do a good job of retaining the free agents you like and, and bringing some new ones in. But if if they can have those top two guys, they're in a decent spot. Yeah. I mean Robinson. To to counter your point, Robinson is young, but he's also out for the rest of the season with a foot injury. But he's the problem with, and I I believe in his talent, but it's like he couldn't stop fouling for like what two or three years, and now he gets hurt when he's finally good. It's like I, I mean I don't think it's I mean maybe it's just kind of a bad luck situation, but um I mean talent wise he's there, but you know stay on the floor. Yeah, I mean, I guess you're right in both respects. He played 66 games his rookie year, and then he played 61 games last year in the shortened season, which would have been about 90% of their season. But then this year, um, only 31 games, and he is not going to be – he's out indefinitely with a foot injury, which means he's going to not play the rest of this year, which I liked watching Robinson this year. He actually stopped fouling. Yeah, you know, he, was, like, he was really good early on, yeah. And I think he didn't contribute to, he didn't help with their spacing issues, but I think that, I mean, listen, Nerlens Noel doesn't help either, but you're right. I think just making sure you have good vets, right? And Tibbs, for his, credit to him, you know, he'll bring in like DJ Augustine to make him thrive. So let's hope that he can keep up that trend and hopefully they get rid of Alfred Payton next year and don't give Tibbs the opportunity to play him over quickly. But let's go ahead and move on to another team that passed over Tyrese Halliburton, the San Antonio Spurs. So the Spurs are 24 and 25. They are ninth in the Western Conference. They have been on a very, um, very rough stretch lately. They so let's so 39 to 49. Their last they've won two of their last 11 games. Um, 
And this week, I don't think they they won on Wednesday for us. So they won 120 to 106 over the Kings. And then they've lost every single game since. They lost to the Atlanta Hawks, who we'll be talking about later. 134 to 129. They lost to the your Indiana Pacers. 139 to 133. They lost to the Cleveland Cavaliers, 125 to 101. I was at the championship game on Monday and I saw that score. And I'm like, this has to be fake. <laughs> like, there's no way. And then they last night they lost to the Nuggets, 106 to 96. Um, Dylan, I, I'll just go ahead and ask this question straight out. Did the Spurs make a mistake just not dumping their vets at the trade deadline? Like keeping Gay and keeping Patty Mills in particular? Probably, but like, I'm trying to balance this whole vets thing right now because I've made a drastic switch on like how I feel about tanking now. And I don't feel like it would be fair for me to trash the Timberwolves and Thunder while also saying that the Spurs should have dumped their vets. Like, it's, it's not in the Spurs nature to do that, first of all. Like, I... I don't think they would have done it. Though even the Lamarcus thing was a little bit out of character for them, but I it's it was too obvious for them to not do it. Um but I don't know. Like I mean honestly, like Patty Mills and Rudy Gay are probably still in their future. That's the thing about the Spurs. Like I don't I don't think they wanted to get rid of them because I think they probably wanted to keep them for next year. Because and and you know, we're gonna get to their future in a little bit, but they definitely have some things to figure out, but I just kind of always trust the Spurs to figure it out. And they, you know, ever since Kawhi left, they haven't had that foundational piece they can build off of, which is weird for them because they went 20 years of having, you know, they had three separate guys they could build around. So it's, it's weird for them to not be in that spot. But um, I mean, I'm, I would I would say they didn't make a mistake because again like I think Patty Mills is like a Spurs for life type of guy and I almost think Rudy Gay is too because he's ever since he signed there he's just been awesome like he he can score with the best of them he's thirty four and you know it's it's I just I I just can't be in favor of, of dumping vets at this point I I can respect that my only problem is right. It feels like a team with two conflicting identities, right? And it's not like, you know, you're not a young team like the, you know, Thunder, right? Where their their starting lineup on Monday was younger than the Baylors. Their average age was younger than the Baylors starting lineup, right? Like the Spurs have old, old young guys, right? Like Derek White's 27 years old, right? Like this is something like Derek White's only been in the league for five years, but he's or four or five years, but he's already, you know, NBA vet age, right? Like DeJounte Murray's 20, like five or 24 at this point, right? Like they don't have as young of guys as like the Thunder do. Like Vassell's going to be turning um, 21 this year. Lonnie Walker is going to be turning 23, which I mean adds up, but they, it's not like they have a super young team. I don't think blowing it up for this team, especially with Pop's guidance, right? Like most teams need vets, but I mean, Pop, I'm pretty sure every NBA player gives the due respect that he deserves. Right. It just feels like a team going two different, like pulling, pushing and pulling in two different directions. And I agree. Like, listen, a team needs vets for sure, but I think you can bring in vets that can help you 
be bad while also helping the young guys get good habits, right? And I mean, like, what we know, Keldon Johnson's probably going to be a winning player, right? Like, I think we can agree with that. Like, we agree, like, DeJounte Murray has a lot of really good transferable winning habits. I do think Patty Mills is a spur for life. I don't think that man should ever not be a San Antonio spur, but I think Rudy, Rudy Gay could have gotten you something like he's, he's huge. <laughs> Every time I look at the listed weight for Rudy Gay, 250, it he does not look like he's 250 pounds. I mean, that must be like that old, like Ron Artest era where Ron Artest was probably like 6'8", 275, right? But he was probably listed at 250. But I think the Aldridge thing was very much was very much needed because even if they were trying to win, Aldridge wasn't helping them achieve that goal. And I, I just like, okay, uh, this wasn't in our big question rundown, but it probably should have been. Do you think the Spurs could win a game in the play-in tournament? Like given the competition in the West and the way they've been playing recently, do you think they could actually like win a game in the play-in tournament? I, I don't think they can. You know, this is weird. Like this is something I never would have thought I would say. But their defense is their biggest problem. Like, I I don't think their offense is bad. Like, I think – I mean, DeMar – like, I think DeMar, watching him this week, I was thinking about it. I think he's probably in your top ten of, like, if you need a guy to score at the end of a game, you give the ball to DeMar. Like, he's not on that list. I mean, he he is, is still such a, a go-to guy as far as getting a bucket. So, like, you have that guy and you have a bunch of, of good scores around him. I I honestly think – I never – I didn't think it would come to this because the numbers have been good, but Yaka Pirtle getting more minutes I think is actually hurting them. Like, their their defense around the rim has been really bad, and, and part of it is that he drops too much on these pick and rolls. I mean, there's a lot of these times – like, you saw it especially uh, in the Cleveland game with Colin Sexton and, and Garland – like they would, Pirtle would drop like beneath the bucket. It's like, what the hell are you going to do there? These guards nowadays love the floater. So if they see Pirtle waiting to block their shot at the rim, they're just going to stop a little bit short and do that floater. And you're going to hit pretty much the same amount of shots. So that's, that's been part of their problem. And their, their three point defense hasn't been good either, but I, I didn't think, you know, I, I mean, we've talked about Pearl before. Like, he's he his numbers are really good, but it seems like when he's been on the floor more, it's been a problem. And when you're talking about playing tournament, like, those are the best teams in the league. And pretty much every team in the West has a good center, like, outside of the Warriors, basically. Like, there's there's someone that's going to destroy Pirtle down low, and there's a bunch of guards that could do it too. So I, I would have a hard time seeing them winning. I mean, the Spurs defense has just been absolutely atrocious lately. I mean, I'm just going through, like, looking at some of their last 15 games on this game log. Um, <laughs> oh, sorry, that's the Knicks. Excuse me. But it's okay. 134 to the 76ers on March 14th. Um, you have 120 to the Bucks. You have 134 to the Clippers. And the Clippers aren't anybody's idea of offensive heaven, right? Um, 132 to the Kings. And then, you know, you bounce back in the next game, you give up 106. One th- this week was really bad in particular. 134 to the Hawks, 139 to the Pacers, who are hurt beyond all hell right now. Didn't TJ McConnell have like a, you know, 18, 8, and 7 in that game or something like that? It was crazy. And then 125 to the Cavs, and then they held the Nuggets to 106 
last night. It's like this team is just hemorrhaging points at this point. They have not been playing well at all. And it's like, I'm very concerned about them in the playoffs. And I think you're right. Maybe Pirtle is just better as a bench guy. Maybe he's just better as a guy that comes in and dominates second units because in the first pod, Pirtle, we were talking about Pirtle like he needed to start, but maybe maybe he's not the solution. I, I just don't know, but I feel like I feel like the Spurs need a better player. Like they just need a better five. And obviously those guys aren't in high demand, but I just I I don't think that they're the way their team is set up. I think DeMar at the four, two is causing a lot of problems. I mean, on offense, he's great, but on defense, you know, he's not anyone's definition of, you know, Paul Millsap, <laughs> you know what I mean? Paul Millsap would actually fit this team. Great. But I, I don't know. I, I don't think they can win a game in the play. Like even if they were the ninth seed and the player playing the 10th seed, like, do you think who would win in a game between them? San Antonio or who would win San Antonio or the Pelicans? Oh, the Pelicans. Are you kidding me? Zion, Zion would, Zion is having an easy time scoring against really good defenses. I, imagine this Spurs defense against him. Would you pick, I know they're floundering right now. Would you pick the Warriors or the Spurs? Uh, that's tough. Like the Warriors outside of Steph are very up and down. And. I honestly might give the Spurs a shot in that one. Let me, I, I'm pretty sure one of the games Steph had like 60 or something like that. Um, no, it was 26. I feel like the, there was a game between the Warriors and the Spurs where Steph had like, so 32 in the second game. What happened in the third game? So let's see. Steph with, no, Steph, Steph averaging a cool like 29 points a game against the Spurs. So no biggie. That's what he's averaging for the season, I think. But I mean, hell, the Kings, I would take the Kings. I know they the Spurs beat the Kings last week, but I would probably take the Kings. I like the DeLon Wright edition for the, for the Kings. I would probably take the Kings over, over the Spurs at this point. I don't trust the Spurs. And I never thought I'd say that about a pop team. Never. But I, Again, this is part of where the young and old clash thing fits. All their guards are young, with the exception of Patty. And then a lot of their four, they don't have a lot of forward depth on this team either. That's my other problem. They just have no forwards. And I think that that could be a problem. But speaking, let's just go ahead and transition to the young guys. So I asked you to rank the players around which one you would like to build around most. So DeJounte Murray, Derek White, Lonnie Walker, the fourth, Keldon Johnson, and Devin Vassell. So go ahead and come with your, uh, with your list still in Hughes. So I had a tough time with this because I actually don't think there's an, a ton of separation between all these guys. Like they, they all have really, really good qualities. And I was actually to, I was actually able to do some, some intra team comps that mm-hmm. helped me, help me decide who I was going to go with. So what made me pick Murray first was watching him, I'm like, I think this guy could be like a better defending DeMar DeRozan down the line. Mm. Just just watching him, like he, I mean, yes, he doesn't have much of a long-range shot, which that initially kind of had me like, oh, I don't know if he's going to be the best guy because he's he's like the only one of these guys that can't really shoot. But look how far DeMar DeRozan has got with not really being able to shoot threes, you know? I mean, he, he is still one of the best scorers in the league. 
And when I see Murray, man, like he, he either gets to the rim or he gets close and just pulls up in the mid range and makes it like he's, he knows the shots he can get and he gets his spots really easily. So you add that to the defensive stuff. And I, again, like not having the shooting kind of lowers the ceiling a bit, but you know, sometimes you just gotta, you gotta stick to the guy that like does the most things really well. And I think, I think Murray does more good stuff than all the other guys. So that's who I want number one. Um, and then number two, I'm going to go ahead and say Derek White. And I, the guy I compare him to is Patty Mills. Like, I I think he can be – I mean, we've seen it already where he can be like a flamethrower offensively. And he's still fairly inefficient. I mean, I think he's only shooting like 39% from the field this year. But to be fair, their entire team is not really shooting well from the field. So can't blame him too much. Um, but I mean, we saw it in the bubble last year. Like that dude, that dude is an awesome three point shooter. Like when he's hot, he's unstoppable. And I was just like, Patty Mills is like that guy right now. And and Patty Mills is a very efficient scorer. So it's a little bit different, but he's like, I think he could be a long-term starter on a team. He may end up becoming like a, a six man at some point, which there's no shame in like, being the first guy off the bench, you know, you make a pretty good career out of that. So that's, that's who I'm at with number two, number three, I went with Keldon and I see him as Rudy Gay. Mm. Like he, he's a guy that's going to be able to score at all three levels. He can get his own shot or play off the ball. Just a big body. I mean, he's going to be able to hold his own defensively because of his size. So, I mean, I I think Keldon Johnson is going to be around for a long time. And Lonnie Walker and Vassell, like, it's kind of a toss-up. They're almost the same player. But honestly, I think Vassell this year has – I mean, shooting what he's shooting from three as a rookie is pretty impressive. And, like, he doesn't have much hesitation when he gets the ball. Like, he kind of knows exactly what he wants to do. And I'm not saying Lonnie Walker doesn't. And Lonnie Walker is probably a little bit better ball handler. But I I just – I haven't been incredibly impressed by him. There's he just kind of goes through these up and down stretches a little bit too much. So I went with Vassell over Walker, but it it could you know it could turn in the matter of like one good week for either of them or one bad week. So I, I like I don't think there's a ton of separation. I think I actually think Murray is probably has the biggest separation between him and the next guy, but it's like they're all good, not great players. And I think that's kind of the problem, right? Like they have a good young core, but it's not a great young core. Like, and I mean, you have something to work with, but the problem is free agents don't want to come to San Antonio. Right. And we saw Kawhi for whatever reason, you know, the reasons are disputed, but I mean, he didn't obviously did not want to be in San Antonio. He did not want to be in San Antonio. So I'd probably have the same rating. You know, I'd probably throw Drew Eubanks at two and then push everyone down a spot. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, I listen, I think that ranking was probably fair. I didn't think about it like interest wide comparisons. That's pretty interesting, but I think that I just, I think that Murray has the chance to be something special because of the offense and the defense. But I think the rest of the guys probably like Kelton could be, but I need to see a little more. And then I think Vassell is going to be a very passable role player. Like he's going to be probably, you know, to go with, he's not on the squad anymore. 
he could be their next Danny Green, right? Very good defender, very good shooter for a long time, hit the corner threes. I mean, listen, he's probably like, I know they picked him over Halliburton. I don't think it was absolutely atrocious like it was like for a team like the Knicks, right? I think you could you could say it was a defensible pick for the Spurs because Vassell really wasn't supposed to fall that far either. So I'll tell you this, the Knicks probably wish they had Vassell right now too. Yeah, they could really use a guy like Vassell, but I think, so we have one more, one more Spurs question before we move on to the Hawks. Um, and that is, if you are the Spurs this off season, DeMar DeRozan is unrestricted free agent. Do you, do you bring out the full court press to bring DeMar DeRozan back or do you let him, do you let him walk in the off season? You know, as much as I like DeMar, like the Spurs have to figure out what they want to do. I mean, you were just talking about how they're kind of like stuck between two different types of futures right now. And I think letting LaMarcus go is kind of a signal that maybe DeMar's next. And DeMar is way better than LaMarcus at this stage. I just want to say that. And, you know, by the way, though, LaMarcus has actually been pretty good for the Nets. (laughs) I was watching them last night against New Orleans and that Knicks game. And, like, he's actually playing pretty good defense at center. I don't – he's actually been, like, a good rim protector. And I'm a little bit caught off guard because I thought he was going to be worthless for them. But – uh, and we'll see when the playoffs come around, but I I might have to apologize to Lamarcus at some point um, and the Nets for criticizing that signing. But you know, as much as I like Demar, like we the the Spurs have seen what they can be with this team, and it's at best a low playoff team. So, I mean, I think the Knicks, you know, the Knicks are one of those teams that they're okay with just shooting for the playoffs every year and making it, but. This will, and you know, last year was not a normal year, but this is probably going to be the second year in a row they don't make the playoffs. So you kind of just have to cut bait, I think, and and try and figure out what you're going to do. And again, they have so many guards. Demar is a guard playing it forward. That's the thing. Like they're able to make it work because of that, but it's not really working as well as it could if you actually had an actual forward out there. Right. So they just need to start making some decisions. And what's interesting is I don't think DeMar is the only guy you need to make a decision on. I mean, you have four guards now. Like, you got, you still got Murray, White, Walker, and Macell, right? And, I mean, you could maybe play small and have three of those guys out there, but you're, you're going to have some of these defensive issues you're having right now. So, I just – I wouldn't be surprised if – they tried to flip one of those young guys for a bit, a bigger guy too. This is where I thought they aired, right? They could have offered a similar package to Chicago for Vucevic, right? And that would have cleared a lot of your problems. Yes. The defensive problems would have been expounded clearly. Right. But I mean, DeMar and Lonnie Walker, and maybe, you know, you throw in like a, another young guy, right? Let's Spurs have a lot of promising young guys, right? Like I, we haven't seen who's what's their uh, name of their first round pick from this year or from a couple of years ago. Um, Luka Samanich, he's actually starting to play now, right? So you have some intriguing pieces. Like I think Quindary Weatherspoon is a piece to keep an eye on, right? Like as a player to keep an eye on, I think he's got some potential. I, we saw him in the bubble last year. I didn't think he sucked. I don't know why they didn't go after Vooch. I think they could have had a better offer for the Spurs than Vooch, but it's the way the world turns in the NBA and you miss your shot. And now you got to recover. I think their best shot is to try to cash in Lonnie Walker. Cause I, 
I think Lonnie Walker probably has the lowest potential out of all those four guys. I think he's way too hit and miss. And I think he's, I think he's good. I don't think he's great, but that's just me. Um, anything else on the Spurs before we move on? I'm good, but I will say that if the Riverwalk and the Alamo is not enough for free agents, then I just don't know what kids want these days, man. Cause I, I had a great time in San Antonio. I would sign with the Spurs. <laughs> you did it on the last episode. You did, Dylan, how much is the tourism board for San Antonio paying you? Um, that is undisclosed to the public. I can't reveal that information. It's a, it's a, uh, NDA type of situation. I see. I see. Um, on that note, let's go ahead and move on to the Atlanta Hawks. Another great city. You know, you got to go check out, um, all, all the landmarks there. Um, the Hawks are currently fifth in the East. They are 27 and 25 and they had, they had a pretty good week. So let's see. They played the Spurs last Thursday and they beat them 134 to 129 double overtime. I don't know if I said that in the um, Spurs section, but if I didn't, I apologize. They then molly the Pelicans twice. The first time coming 126 to 103 on Friday. And then they curb stomped them 123 to 107 on Wednesday. And then in between those Pelicans games, they beat the Golden State Warriors 117 to 111. And then they got their shit kicked in on the second night of a back-to-back against the Memphis Grizzlies. Um, so my first question is, obviously this team fired Lloyd Pierce and they replaced him with Nate McMillan later in the uh, later that day. And then after some, uh, after some little bit of controversy, but since McMillan has taken over, the Hawks are 13 and five. I mean, pretty good. They were... They were 14 and 20 under Lloyd Pierce. So Dylan Hughes, you, you, uh, your t- favorite team was coached by Nate McMillan for many years. Is Nate McMillan a magician? You know, I think what the, what the Hawks have done with Nate and what the Pacers have done without Nate this season and granted some injuries for the Pacers, but I think is proof of how good of a coach Nate McMillan is. I mean, like, he may not be a championship level coach, but like he knows how to get a team good. He knows how to make a playoff team. And that's exactly what the Hawks needed. Um, I mean, you know, and it, it helps that he has so much talent, but I mean, I maybe he's putting something in the coffee there. Like, I don't know. Maybe he's bringing some, some special substances to, to get everyone on the right page, <laughs> but, or maybe he's just a great leader of men. I don't know, but, He's uh he's got some he I think he definitely has some sort of magic in him. I mean the team is just playing out of their minds right now. And I do have to say um McMillan's stretch may or may not have coincided with Bogdan Bogdanovich coming back, right? Around that time cuz you know everyone's like, "Oh, McMillan is 8-0 in his first eight games as the coach." Well, um I looked at the game log for Bogdan Bogdanovich and those eight games were coincidentally the eight games where he started playing again. Right. And Gallo came back before that. And they've been dealing with some guys in another lineup right now. Right. Like DeAndre Hunter did play um, last week, but he did have another minor procedure on his knee. So he'll be he should be back by next week. But we don't know. Um, Collins. John Collins is currently out and he's going to be reevaluated in seven to ten days. I didn't see him at all. I don't know if you saw any games with uh, John Collins this week. Um, And Cam Reddish has been out with an Achilles injury and he'll be out at least four to six more weeks. So that was on March 15th. So 
at best, he's going to be coming back next next Wednesday. And at worst, he's going to be back at the end of April. So this team has been really snake bitten by injuries. But I mean, Dylan, I mean, McMillan has just done like a phenomenal fucking job just putting this team together and putting them in the best positions to win. I don't think Trey Young has even played that well, but the rest of the team has picked up the slacks. Yeah, I mean, Bogdan was may go down as like one of the most important signings from this offseason because I think the problem for the Hawks, and we've talked about this before, that it was just too much of Trey Young. Like it they were going Harden, they were going Harden style with a way worse version of Harden, right? And that's why they sucked the past couple of years. And I know they didn't have a ton of talent around him and a ton of it was a lot of young guys, but there was way too much on on his plate. And man, like Bogey 2.0, we're just gonna call him, has been insane recently. I mean, like he's he's been, and he's the perfect guy to have next to Trey because he's great on or off ball. I mean, he can knock down like seven threes a game if you want, or he can he can get you a, a nice shot off a of pick and roll, you know, like he he has been the perfect guy next to Trey Young. And and I've liked Kevin Herter a lot this year, but, like, they've kind of put – like, they, he hasn't been pushed out of the rotation, but he doesn't play as much as he has been uh, with everyone being healthy now for the most part, at least everyone at guard. So, like, Kevin Herter has been good this year, and and I think he's like a – he's like a, a light version of Bogdan. Like, he's – he, he can do a lot of the same things, just not as well. Um, so having Bogdan back has been great. But, you know, one thing that's helped them throughout all these injuries with, with Hunter and Reddish out is their depth is way better than you would think. Like, if you said, hey, we have Solomon Hill and Tony Snell coming off the bench, you would be like, oh, God, that's that's terrible. But Tony Snell is shooting 60% from three right now. He's 55 of 91. 55 of 91. He is obviously in the 100th percentile for effective field goal percentage, shooting that, those numbers. It's incredible. If you would have told me in 2015, after watching Tony Snell for two years, that he would still be in the league and helping teams out, I would have laughed in your fucking face. I, I'm being dead serious. I thought he was the worst player I'd ever seen. And like, because there was the one game, like you you know the concept of a trillion, right? Like from uh, like Mark Titus, where like you play like a certain amount of minutes. And if you put up all zeros, it's called a trillion. So he put up like a 37 trillion, or not 37, but like a, a 27 trillion one time or something like that. Like that's really impressive to not put up any stats in 27 minutes. And now he's making threes for an NBA team, like for a team that's trying to make the playoffs, make it make sense to look Hughes. Well, you know, I think it goes back to something you've talked about a lot with shooters becoming better when they have shooting around them. Like, I mean, Tony Snell was in Milwaukee, like they had shooting, but it wasn't as good as it is now. And then he went to Detroit. Like we don't even need to talk about that. I mean, this Hawks team is littered with shooters. Like, their entire lineup outside of Capella can shoot, right? So it makes sense that Snell is getting just a ton of open looks and knocking him down. Um, but, like, that's, that's like, the key to how, how I think it's been lately is they've had injuries all year. I mean, Cam Reddish and DeAndre Henner were hurt at the beginning of the year, too. And then Gallo and... Bogdan were out so it's like they're they've just had 
someone out constantly. And now Collins is out too. There's constantly been someone out and they've just had these guys step up to the plate and Hey, the guy they just got in a trade Lou will turns out much better fit for this roster than Rondo was. Yeah. And much better on the Clippers than he was on the Clippers too. Well, you know, I think that, and I, I was thinking about this while watching the other night, uh, watching him hit, I believe it was their final of 11 out of 11 threes against the Pelicans in the third quarter. Which I had, wait, but before you continue, I have to imagine you felt absolutely amazing watching them go 11 for 11 against the Pelicans. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm actually growing a little bit more fond of the Pelicans just because I, I've loved Zion so much. Every time I watch Bledsoe get the ball, though, I do have start to have heart palpitations. But um, and by the way, I think that was the game where Lonzo shot 14 out of his 15 shots from three. Like, come the fuck on, people. I'm sorry. I know he's shooting better from three this year, but that has been my main problem with the Pelicans. Even even outside of Bledsoe, you have like Lonzo is not a shooter. He should not be shooting all of his shots from three. I'm just getting so sick of watching it. And even if he's hitting, because I know I know he had a really good game against like the Mavericks or someone recently, but stop having Lonzo shoot only from three. I just hate it. Um, but it was it was a really fun quarter. Like, I mean, a lot of the shots like should have gone in, you know, because they have so much, so many good shooters. But there was a lot of I mean, the shot Lou will hit was like fading off in the corner. And it was a shot you would expect Lou Will to hit, but not really anyone else. But I, I just think the problem with him on the Clippers was that he had to be a creator. And now he can just have fun. Like, there's so much talent there. He can kind of just play off of a bunch of different guys and and shoot some fun shots. So I, I think it's like more of a relaxed environment for him. And something which, I is, which is funny because he's on a worse team. <laughs> Right. But it's it's still it's a much better fit for him. I think him having played with Gallo before too really helps. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure I don't remember exactly because that was a while ago, but I feel like him and Gallo played a lot together when they were in the when they were on the Clippers together because Doc would have to stagger Tobias and Danilo when they were playing together. And I, I feel like that connection has really helped Atlanta too, because those two just like kind of throw weird passes to each other. And it just somehow works. I don't know. I really like the Danilo and the will connection. I mean, that's, you know, that, that was one thing I thought about too. I was trying to think how, how much, like how much overlap time they had on the Clippers. Um, Cause Danilo has been out of there for a few years now, but I was like, you know what? I think Lou Will was traded there. He at least had one season with him. So, yeah, I, I think that that was definitely helping. But it's this team is just so fun right now because that, that game against the Spurs where it went to double overtime was a great example of who they are because Trey Young was trash, like, up until the fourth quarter. And he kind of proved – and in, he was really good in overtime too. Um it was just kind of showed that like they don't need him to be in the game, but they kind of need him to help close some of these teams out. And, and he, he owned overtime and he's definitely why they won uh, him and Bogdan. So, I mean, ha- having those two guys running the show plus all the other guys around them is, is really exciting. And I, I still think click Capella is probably one of the most underrated players in the league. I mean, this dude cleans up down low on both ends and, that was a really great trade for them. Yeah. 
Oh, the Clint Capella was a robbery. And I know that they had to do it because they wanted to play a more small ball for Houston. But I think Daryl's last season in Houston should just be disregarded for any moves about him and just be entirely an indictment on Fertitta. But I, I pulled up cleaning the glass, right? You know, I pulled up the lineups page from the 2018-19 Clippers. And there's a lineup with Pat Bev, Lou Will, Shamit, Gallinari and Montrez and they are plus 28.2 and 133 they were excuse me on 135.3 points per 100 (laughs) let's run it back man let's run it back hey man listen I think this is another thing too about Lou Will before we move on to the other questions I think he's going to be really good for Okongwu right like Harold didn't really find himself until he played with Lou Will and now Harold's great and maybe Lou Will can do that for Okongwu too. Like that two-man game can't be discounted, right? Like Lou Will's assists basically all came to Harold in the last few years. And I think that was one of the reasons he struggled in Los Angeles this year too, is because he didn't have his, you know, I don't think they're buddies after, if you pay attention to like Instagram comments, but he didn't have his like guy to play off of. And I think that was huge for Lou Will. And I think now that he has a good pick and roll partner in Okongwu and he's still raw and I don't know what to think about him yet. We didn't see him the first time. And I, I just don't, I, I don't have any Okongwu opinions yet, but I think he could be good for Okongwu's development. Yeah. I mean, his, his hair connection with Harold was huge. Like they, it was just that, that was basically their bench. Like those two guys playing off each other. Um, and yeah, Okongwu has a lot of, a lot of uh, games before he can get on Harold's level, but um, we saw him a little bit this week. I, I liked what I saw. I like Lou, Will, and Rondo on their respective new teams a lot more than I did on their teams they were on before, if that makes sense. I think that this is a lot better for Rondo to be on the Clippers, and that's a lot better for Lou to be on the Hawks. But let's go ahead and move on to our second question. So does this team have one of the brightest futures in the league? And the reason I ask is they have so much young talent and I think the Collins thing is done with, right? I think Collins, um, reading between the lines, Collins had one of the biggest problems with Lloyd Pierce. Uh, there was an athletic, you know, one of those anonymous player surveys where apparently they were asked the coach they would least want to play for. And a Hawks player said, can we say our own coach? <laughs> I don't know what Lloyd Pierce did. I don't know anything about the man, but apparently he was very unpopular. And I think we, we both acknowledge Nate McMillan's a very good coach. We saw it for however many years in Indiana and Portland and Seattle. He's done it. He's been a very good coach for a long time. And I think you have Trey Young, who is very, like, we both agree Trey Young isn't one of the probably top five young guards in the NBA, but he's close. And I'm curious, how do you rate the future of this franchise? Because they've been on a tear lately. And I think that they, I think this team has a lot of future potential, even with, you know, like having Gallinari and Lou Will on there. Bogey's kind of young, so he kind of fits with the future. But what do you think of their potential, like their future potential? I mean, the ceiling's the roof, man. Like it's <laughs> – it's what's interesting to me is they're going to trade someone. And, I mean, I, I would be surprised if they didn't try to bring Collins back. Like at the very least, have him be like your backup four or five. Just play him – 30 minutes at both of those spots, you know, like try to, or you just start bringing Gallo off the bench. I don't know, but they, they've got to do something because he has been too good for them this year to just let him walk. And you could do a sign and trade, but what are you going to get back? And I don't know. Um, but man, like, and we, we saw Hunter Hunter has battled a lot of injuries this year. So he's only played 20 games, but this dude has figured it out. Like he, 
he's his pull up jumper is really is really like reliable. And I mean, he's shooting 54% from the mid range this year. I didn't even, didn't even realize it's been that good, but I mean, his, his mid range game is really good. And like, obviously we know how good of a defender he's going to be. And then you got Cam Reddish who Cam Reddish still pretty bad offensively, like at least scoring wise. But I, I just, there's something about Cam Reddish. I just really like, and it may take him time to develop because there's so much talent. Like he's not going to get, a million reps a game like a lot of young players do because he's on a good team now. But, I mean, we know he's going to be a good defender at the very least. And he just turned 21, so, like, he's got plenty of time to settle in. But the the unique thing about this team is, you know, we talk a lot about young cores, and I still think Memphis is probably our favorite. But this one, like, they've got a nice balance of defense and offense. So, I think, I mean, I think they seriously, like, they they very well could be a top four playoff team in the East for for a long time. Okay, this is, I didn't ask you to prepare this, but off the top of your head, who would you rather have, Luke Kennard or Kevin Herter? Oh, definitely Herter. I, I don't, I, Kennard, I just haven't seen it consistently enough. I mean, he, he's had games, and trust me, I've seen them against the Pacers, it seems like, every time. He he saves his best for the Pacers, but I mean, Kennard definitely has it. Like he has something in him, but you just don't see it enough. And it seems like every time I watch Herger, I get excited about something. And I can't say the same about Kennard. That's that's incredibly fair. I because I feel like Herder is the obvious piece they're going to trade. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. Because like they have Bogdan Bogdanovich, and like you don't need Herder and Bogdanovich. I think Bogdanovich is clearly a better player. By the way, I want to do a little call out corner. I know this isn't the battleground. I'm calling out Caleb Lynn. Okay, huh? It turns out that Bogdan Bogdanovich and Gallinari are good players, and it turns out good players help you win games. And yes, Nate McMillan has done a phenomenal job, but I, I can't help but think that this winning streak they've gone on coincided with Gallinari and Bogdanovich being finally healthy. I, I just can't help but think that Dylan Hughes. And listen, I understand why you didn't like the moves for them. And I'll kind of play into that with the next question. But I think that this team, I think having more good players is never a bad thing. And I think Gallinari is going to be a good guy to learn from for the uh, forwards. I think Bogdan Bogdanovich, I don't know why I keep saying his full name like I say Dylan Hughes, but, you know, just bear with me, um, audience. But... I think having Bogey on this team is going to be really good for the guards, for the young guards, right? Like, I know he's only been in the league for a few years, but he's 28. He's been in the Euro League. He's been a pro for a long time. And I think, listen, I mean, Dylan, okay, I do have a question for you. Do you agree that if Sacramento had Halliburton, Bogdanovich, and Fox right now, they'd be in a lot better position than just letting Bogdanovich watch for nothing? That was the worst case scenario for them. And I didn't love what they would get back from Milwaukee in that deal, but at least you get DiVincenzo. Like DiVincenzo is not nearly as good as Bogdanovich, but he's something. Letting losing him for nothing was a disaster. Yeah, and Bogdanovich, you know, it's crazy that Halliburton's come in and nearly been as good as Bogdanovich is. <laughs> like that's crazy for a rookie. But I mean, you'd rather have like I'd rather have Bogdanovich than Halliburton, and I'm not I'm not sorry for that. Like. Bogdanovich is really good. I think that, listen, he's, 
the problem was he played in Sacramento and people got this idea in it in their heads like you know if they play him on league pass right like oh he's either really bad or they play him in like their home market he's either really bad or you know he went off against us one night he's re- like the fucking greatest he's in the middle but like he's listen he's a top 100 nba player and losing that kind of caliber of guy hurts and it's really helpful for the hawks and i think that's why they're going to stick in the top five for the rest of the season even as charlotte falls out and miami's going to claw their way back up to the top and I'm really excited for the Miami week, actually, because I haven't seen them at all since the trades. I really want to watch them. But I think that I think the Hawks are going to make the top six of the playoffs. I don't think they're going to follow the plan at all. I don't think I think they've established themselves at this point after the All-Star break to be one of the top teams in the Eastern Conference. Do you OK, before we move on to our last question, do you agree with that, Dylan? They're not going to fall into the play. Yeah, I mean, they just, they have too much balance on their team, like Again, even though they have injuries, they have a great – they just have such great scoring ability. And, again, you got Capella down low to, like, clean all these mistakes up, whether it's on defense or offense. So, I I think they're 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 off they're off to the races right now. Like, they – if anything, they're going to move up. Oh, yeah. I mean, they I don't think they'll catch Milwaukee in them because I think they're – they're like five games back from Milwaukee. I want to say, let's do some quick math real quick. So they are um, games back there. So they're six games behind Milwaukee. I don't think they're going to make up six games unless Milwaukee just falls into a fucking tailspin, which they haven't. Milwaukee hasn't been as good as they have been in the past years, but they're not that bad. So I think that Atlanta will stick around for like four. And I think that having home court after being as bad as they were last year and not getting invited to the bubble, that's a huge step forward. Huge step forward for the Hawks, but they do have a little bit of a um a forward conundrum. And the last question I have for you, Dylan, is just do you think with all these forwards they have with Hunter, with Reddish, and you could quibble whether Hunter with whether Reddish is a guard or a forward, but he's like a two three, not a one two. So um Gallo and then John Collins. Like, do you think that's too many, like too many forwards in that um forward rotation? Uh maybe. I mean, again, I think you could probably get away with playing Collins as like your backup five if you really wanted to. But, I mean, right now they're playing Snell and Solomon Hill together. So, like, why can't you just put Hunter and Reddish in there too? I mean, I think they they could figure it out. It's definitely going to be tricky, and you're going to have someone kind of out of position probably, but I I think they could figure it out. Like, Reddish to me is like ideally a 2-3. Right. Yeah. Hunter is ideally a three, four Gallo is just the four at this point. There's no positional versatility. I mean, have you seen how that man moves on the perimeter? <laughs> There's no positional versatility to him. And then John Collins, you're right. I really want to see him as a backup five. You know, I honestly, him in that Akangu role with Lou will, they could eat. Oh yeah. Right? Like you could probably even get away with, I, it's hard to get a guy like Collins is very clearly into the idea of getting a max contract. So it's going to be very hard to get him to take a bench role, but I think you could start him, play him like five to six minutes as in the starting group, then pull him to play him with the bench guys and have him thrive as the backup vibe. I think you could work that way. I think you could play with Capella too. Like, I think there's just a lot of forward combinations and I'm interested to see if they make this work. And Nate McMillan actually kind of made it work in Indiana. You know, I think Turner's playing a lot better this year, but it wasn't like 
a downright failure like it could have been in Indiana with those two big guys. Obviously, they didn't have the wing log jam that they have in Atlanta, which Dylan, I'm sure you would like the wing log jam in Indiana to, like they have in Atlanta. But I mean, they kind of do. It's just they're all hurt. <laughs> true. Yeah, I mean, getting Karis LeVert, I, I love that deal for the Pacers. I, I still can't believe they got him. But, well, I can't wait for Pacers week because that's either going to be a, a time of great joy or great sorrow for Dylan Hughes. I, I just can't wait for Pacers week. But um, I think we've touched on everything we want to touch on. Dylan, anything else you want to add about the Hawks before we move on? I'm just, I'm just excited, man. I'm, I'm excited that it's finally happening because I've been excited about the Hawks for like two years now, and it's finally started to pay off. And I think that's a good note to wrap up on. Um, so our teams for next week, our teams for next week, we're going back to the Jazz, the Bucks, and the Cavaliers. So that should be a, that should be a fun week. Um, we're catching those teams at interesting points of their seasons. Um, Drew Holiday. Oh, that's another thing we could mention real quick. Drew Holiday got the bag, forty million a year for the next four years. Dylan, just really quick. Um, good or bad contract for the Bucks? I mean, it's interesting because it would have made more sense last year because they're trying to keep Giannis right. They already got Giannis, so they're they're kind of. I mean, they're locking themselves in. Like, that's three huge contracts now. Like, that's that's really all they can do. Um, I mean, Drew Holiday is, is not a bad guy to hit your wagon to. It's just interesting. It, it makes a lot more sense if you go Giannis at the five. But, oh, I just realized we have Giannis at the five rant next week coming, baby. Let's go. Let's go. Um, and then on that note, that is everything. Um, first episode of Divine Rhyme. Okay, first of all, I always plug this first. I, I'm sorry, Dylan Hughes. I, I'll get back to Divine Rhyme in a second. From one young soul to another. Listen, man, it's five bucks. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna place, I'm gonna buy a finger from the finger store and place it on your front porch if you don't buy this book. You know, because listen, it's gonna seem ominous. You don't know where this is coming from. I'll attach it to a note that says buy from one young soul to another or else. And listen. You just need to buy the goddamn book. It's support my friend Dylan Hughes. Come on, man. Put some money in his pocket. I'm not asking you to, you know, burn down the Louvre, right? I'm not asking you to commit murder. I'm just asking you to spend $5. Come on, man. (laughs) Dylan, it's it's just getting ridiculous at this point. You know, Alex, I obviously appreciate this every week. And I want to give a shout out to J.D. Hall for he's continuing to spread this this wildfire that you're trying to spread. Um, on his Snapchat story, giving me a nice little shout out today. Uh, so very thankful that you finally have a team member. It, it's kind of just been you. Even even I've kind of stopped promoting the book, except in my YouTube descriptions, which no one looks at. But it, it's been you fighting the good fight on your own. So I will let you know that you you do have a, a soldier on your side now. Thank God. You know, it, it's been a burden. Honestly, but a burden I've been glad to glad to have because listen, you know, promoting my friend's shit, you know, doing doing this podcast every week. I feel like it's the very least I could do. So shout out to JD always um, just in general. You know, his spurs, we did take a shit on him, but, you know, hey, <laughs> it is what it is. Um, and then Divine Rhyme, Dylan Hughes. Very. How did you feel? Obviously, I told you how I felt the first episode went, but tell the people how you felt the first episode went. Man, like, I I almost, like, I was sitting in a chair, 
And I, as soon as we ended our recording, I just felt like I was levitating just a little bit above that chair. And I, uh, I feel like me and Will Hogsett are fulfilling our purpose on earth by digging out all the lessons that are buried in music. And uh, I, I think it was a great first episode. I listened back to it really, really happy with it and very excited to continue recording. Yeah, and so the first episode was on the first three J Cole mixtapes. However, I messed up the uh, out, the episode's title doesn't really reflect that. But Dylan said it's not too big of a deal, and if Dylan says it's not too big of a deal, then it's not too big of a deal. So um, go check out the first episode of Divine Rhyme. Linsanity. I was on Linsanity this week, the last one for a few weeks, and because Caleb is taking a well deserved break, Caleb and Bryce. Bryce is recording Battleground tonight, but he will probably be going on a break as well for the next couple of weeks after that. Um, Actually, we'll have an episode of the Battleground. Battleground is recording at the same time as we are. So there will be this episode out on Friday and then Battleground out on Friday. And then another show that's recording tonight, back from a hiatus, Triple Option Pass with the top offensive prospects. They're recording tonight. And then the week after that, they'll have the top defensive prospects. Hopefully we can do some kind of mock draft the week before the draft. And then, you know, this is the time of year where people need to just get their draft coverage, Dylan Hughes. So go check out Triple Option Pass. Um, Circle City Cinema, Zach is just out on an absolute tear. He did a, um, a director's commentary kind of episode for the last episode of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So go check that out. Um, Road to Fast 9 should be returning soon. I don't know exactly when, but um, Zach will let me know when that does. And I think I covered all my bases here. Yeah, so um, the next episode of Divine Rhyme, hopefully it'll be out next week. Fingers crossed on that one. Our buddy Will Hogshead is very busy, and I want to shout out to him because... You two made the episode. Obviously, shout out to you two, Dylan Hughes, because you two made the first episode very awesome. And I really, I really love that you two are doing a show on this network. It really, it means the world to me. So, um, Dylan Hughes, once again, thank you for joining me. Thank you.